This is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It's 11.20 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It's the 27th of March, 2020. This is episode... 223 of Bitcoin, and they're calling for a new bull market. Yes, sir, they are. Uh, let's just get right into this, man. William Suberg writing for Cointelegraph uh, sometime this morning, very early this morning. Bitcoin price holding $6,500 as media calls new bull market in stocks. Jeez, these guys. Woo! Data from Coin360 and Cointelegraph market show BTC USD trading pair is in a wide corridor between $6,500 and $6,900 overnight on Thursday. Having preserved support at the lower end, Bitcoin saw its third consecutive day above $6,000 as coronavirus misery appeared to abate for some parts of the world's financial system. <clears throat> They were building on the success of the Dow, which on Wednesday saw its biggest one-day growth since 1933 at 20% for the Wall Street Journal. This was even enough to call it a bull market. Is there such a thing as a two-week bear market? I just, honestly, man, dude. That, in turn, followed an announcement for the United States Federal Reserve to print unlimited amounts of money. Again, that is unlimited amounts of money, something which immediately pumped markets but rattled Bitcoin proponents. While Bitcoin continued to fluctuate, data suggested that traders were not in the mood to sell. According to monitoring resource Glassnode, exchange balances were at eight-month lows as of Thursday. Quote, despite the volatility, Bitcoin hodlers appear to be withdrawing their funds from exchanges. Outflow has been increasing daily since March the 18th, the company summarized on Twitter. Good, you guys should take your freaking Bitcoin off of exchanges. Never leave it there in the first place. Since it crashed to near 18-month lows on March the 12th, uh, BTC has recovered 80% at press time. In a potentially tongue-in-cheek forecast, trader and entrepreneur Alistair Milne demonstrated that the pair may even have the potential to hit $9,000 as soon as next week. For Cointelegraph Market, uh, analyst Michael Van Depop, however, Bitcoin still has a lot to prove in order to ditch its bear market behavior. While he called the 80% gains tremendous in a video update on Thursday, he said that levels above 6,900 still remain untouched. Quote, I don't feel that Bitcoin is in any bullish market right now. Given that we've lost pretty substantial support and we didn't reclaim anything at all, he summarized. Yeah, I know it sounds bad, but what are you going to do? This is unprecedented. This this entire time is unprecedented, even, God, for Bitcoin, right? Now, Bitcoin's only been around 11 years. So, yeah, the whole coronavirus thing is going to screw with things in in ways that we can't imagine. So, <clears throat> 
But talking about screwing with somebody here, Ripple lawsuit plaintiffs put CEO in the crosshairs. Trevor Smith, writing sometime today for the Bitcoinist, says the new amendment emphasizes CEO Brad Garlinghouse's role in misleading Ripple investors. He states that the head of Ripple repeatedly told the public that he intends to hold the token when, in fact, he was actively selling it. The complaint states, quote, Ripple CEO Brad Garlinghouse has also been a vocal advocate for investing in XRP or Ripple or Hobo Wine, whatever you want to term it. In a December 14th, 2017 interview with BNN, when asked if he is personally invested in XRP, the CEO stated, quote, I'm long XRP. I'm very, very long XRP as a percentage of my personal balance sheet, end quote, end quote. It goes on to say, quote, rather, he, Garlinghouse, was dumping XRP on retail investors in exchange for dollars and other cryptocurrencies. Defendants had exclusive or superior knowledge of material information regarding Garlinghouse's XRP sales, but omitted it from their representations to investors. Accordingly, Garlinghouse's statement was a misrepresentation and omission of material fact to investors. Uh-oh, end quote. The plaintiff's primary argument in this case has been that Ripple Labs advertises the XRP token as a utilitarian tool to further greater business interests. They assert that the company instead uses the sale of XRP as its primary source of revenue, and they do. So it's just a fact. Having no real interest in using the token for any other purpose, because it has no freaking purpose, people. They have presented as evidence the fact that XRP is not needed for Ripple's key services, such as XVIA and XRapid, which is now RippleNet. <laughs> Ripple Lab denies this claims. Uh, and insists that it has always been transparent about its use of XRP. In February, a federal judge dismissed some of the plaintiff's complaints, yet allowed the lawsuit to proceed. The current amendment complaint is in response to this ruling. A key element of this case is the question of whether or not the XRP token should be classified as a security under United States law. Ripple vigorously denies that XRP is a security. Of course they do. As such, classification would introduce a range of regulatory hurdles that could make its business far more complex and costly. However, the plaintiffs insist that the token is a security based on how it has been marketed, governed, and sold. The lawsuit is unlikely to be resolved soon, yet its conclusion will help answer some of the most pressing issues surrounding blockchain assets. Based on these recent moves, Brad Garlinghouse now has a personal stake in its outcome. So Brad has been dragged into this entire thing personally, whereas before he was sort of, you know, on the fringe and he's just like, oh, well, I'm shielded and I'm insulated and blah, blah, blah. Well, not anymore, apparently. So we'll have to see what happens to Brad moving on. Oh, God, Missoula County. Okay, Montana. Guys, get your shit together. U.S. County extends regulations for crypto miners requiring them to use clean energy. This is Anna Alexandra writing for Cointelegraph sometime this morning. The Missoula County Board of Commissioners in Montana, United States, has extended its green regulations for cryptocurrency miners, which are designed to control the energy consumption of the industry in the county. And I guess they mean designed to control the energy consumption in the county by miners is another form of making sure that they don't advance in this sector, because that's pretty much what it means. 
the regulations which require crypto miners to set up their operations only in light industrial and heavy industrial districts and only after they have been reviewed and approved as a conditional use are now extended until April 3rd, 2021. County authorities initially adopted the rules a year ago with a view to protect the public health, safety, morals, the morals and general welfare of county residents. (laughs) Good God. The regulations are part of a city-county resolution aimed at transitioning to 100% usage of clean energy by 2030. As such, the county board is considering proposing it as permanent zoning. Local news outlet, The Missoulin, reported on March the 27th, the board has not made changes to the rules, which means that miners will still need to exclusively use renewable energy as well as ensure that all electronic waste generated will be handled by a relevant recycling firm. Authorities approved the extensions after a public hearing during a commissioner's meeting where only one citizen spoke out and compared crypto mining operations to the coronavirus outbreak, saying, quote, Just as coronavirus, it's a prolonged consequence where if we don't act immediately to lower our demand for electricity and introduce renewable electricity, our planet is going to be degraded tragically in the future. It is an emergency. It's just not one that we can perceive on an hour-to-hour basis like the virus. Jeez, man, that's that's a stretch, bro. The regulations, however, will not apply to crypto mining facilities existing before April the 4th, 2019. Some crypto industry players have already developed eco-friendly crypto mining solutions with German Bitcoin mining infrastructure firm Northern Bitcoin AG completing tests for its new air-cooled mining container last year. The firm operates mining hardware that uses renewable energy sources and aims to obtain optimal efficiency and sustainability. In January, researchers at Ireland's Economic and Social Research Institute proposed that using a blockchain-based forward trading system can provide a more effective incentive for the smart management of renewable energy consumption. The proposed mechanism includes the use of smart contracts to automate energy control, trading, and management within a distributed framework. So there you go. Missoula taking a gun out of its hip pocket and shooting themselves square in the ass. That's what that shit's about. So Montana, you, I don't know, at least for Missoula County, uh, have basically just exited a new, a completely new industry. And the fact that you probably have substantial stores of natural gas that would be flared off in uh, oil mining you can't even take part of that, considering that I don't think you're going to regard that as clean energy. So, yeah, whatever. You can just go ahead and vent the methane direct into the atmosphere. That'll, that'll, that'll help. All right, this one is from Kieran Smith, writing sometime today for Brave New Coin. BTC and SPX, the decoupling. The COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic is rewrite, rewriting the narratives around Bitcoin now, instead of the having as a key driver of Bitcoin price action, analysts are pointing to a potential decoupling. Bye, bye, bye! The COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic is rewriting the narratives around Bitcoin. Oh, sorry, I just did that. (laughs) This event is expected to put an end to the recent correlation between Bitcoin and the S&P 500 and set the leading cryptocurrency free to realize its ambition to act as a digital safe haven. The initial coupling of Bitcoin and the stock market is thought to have taken place over the past few years as institutional investors gradually entered the cryptocurrency market through new regulated platforms like CME and BACT. 
Though their present is thought to be vital for widespread adoption, some blame this new breed of investors for causing Bitcoin to mirror the price action of the United States stock market and ultimately create the catastrophic crash of Black Thursday. Unlike real Bitcoin fans, these institutional investors are not necessarily believers in the Bitcoin ethos. Instead, they are likely to see the cryptocurrency as just another risk on asset-like stocks. Thus, when coronavirus fears reared, sorry, reared their ugly head, asset managers followed the standard order of operations and took capital away from these risks, risk on assets in favor of cash, dirty, stinky cash, turning Bitcoin into a swimming float attached to the Titanic, as Binance CEO Shengpeng Zhao wrote in a blog post. <clears throat> But as Bitcoin has risen over the last week, while stocks have continued to fall, analysts like Willy Wu suggest we are now seeing a decoupling of the two assets. Data from exchanges suggest the bounce may be related to the departure of institutions with demand for Bitcoin options on CME and back drying up in recent weeks, according to SKU. Without institutions treating Bitcoin as a risk-on asset, Bitcoin could now be free to realize its potential as a digital safe haven in what security token pioneer Alan Silbert says is the best possible microenvironment of unprecedented money printing from central banks around the world. Whether this is likely or not, the next few days are likely to determine if Bitcoin will chart its own course or remain tethered to global markets. Okay, so the next few days is a phrase that should probably never be used in Bitcoin. I'm just saying, man. It, the the uh, high time preference here is a little disconcerting. It's, I mean, did it couple? Yeah, but that's like what I was saying before. Nobody's ever seen anything like this. This is completely unprecedented. <clears throat> now, some people might say, well, look at the, um, at the 1918 pandemic. Well, yeah, we can look at 1918 pandemic. How widespread was electricity in 1918? Was there the internet in 1918? No. Was there high-speed trading in 1918? No. We didn't have any of the electronic and communication-based infrastructures that we have today in 1918. We didn't have it. It's a completely different world. This is, in fact, unprecedented in our lifetimes. So there you go. Oh, oh, good Lord. Robin Hood is in a little bit of trouble, and I'm thinking that Friar Tuck is going to bail. Another class action lawsuit brought against Robinhood over platform outages, as if you could have guessed. Jack Martin is writing this one for Cointelegraph sometime this morning. Following a series of platform outages during historic price actions earlier this month, yeah, welcomed Bitcoin, Robinhood, a popular stock and cryptocurrency trading app, now faces another class action complaint. This lawsuit, filed March the 25th, was brought by customer Bruce Queen on behalf of all Robinhood customers within the United States who were not able to execute trades on securities or change limit orders during the outages and incurred financial losses. <clears throat> As Cointelegraph reported on March the 2nd, Robinhood suffered technical problems for the entire day, meaning customers were unable to trade securities in their accounts for a period of over 16 hours. This coincided with the then biggest one-day point gain in the Dow Jones stock market index in history. Queen alleges that he had bought con- uh, put contracts through the platform on February the 28th and submitted a sell order for these on March the 2nd. However, 
He was unable to access the cell order throughout the day, and the order was canceled by Robin Hood on the morning of March the 3rd. Queen was then forced to sell his contracts at a lower price on March the 3rd. While Queen managed to sell his contracts on March the 3rd, Robin Hood's technical problems were far from over. The platform went offline again for around three hours that day, reportedly due to an unprecedented load caused by record volumes of trades. A week later on March the 9th, the platform suffered another outage with customers unable to buy or sell securities on the public market. This third outage coincided with a major crash across stock markets with the Dow losing 2,000 points and the NASDAQ composite index falling 7.3%. Yet more issues with the platform reported on March the 12th. My God, I didn't, I mean, I knew they had problems, but this is just freaking ridiculous. Queen is not claiming losses on behalf of himself during these subsequent outages, but they are included on behalf of class action participants who have. Following the repeated outages, there was a heated reaction from service users who had lost out. The platform has attempted to win back the trust of affected users in the form of credits, with the exact dollar amount being decided on a case-to-case basis. However, it seems that this has failed to pacify all of the disgruntled customers who are now demanding a jury trial in the class action suit. Wow, God dang, dude, you guys are going to get hosed. Indeed, Robinhood is facing yet another class action lawsuit related to the platform outages in a United States federal court in Florida. So their problems are mounting in an ever-increasing fashion. I do not expect Robinhood to survive. I really don't. Uh, Honestly, I think this is going to be the nail in their little coffin, which goes to demonstrate if you're going to have a trading platform or any kind of platform that is dependent on internet usage, uh, your your rear end better be like rock solid. And by rear end, I mean back end. I mean your server farms. I mean... Uh, keeping up your internet connections. I mean everything about it so that everything goes swimmingly. We've seen this with Coinbase. We've seen it with a couple of other cryptocurrency exchanges where their systems just freeze up on movement. You can't have that. I, I wish Coinbase hadn't survived all that, but sadly they're still around. Robinhood, on the other hand, because they are not in the space and pretty much in stocks and bonds, have a much larger mob of pitchforks and torches coming after them. A much, much larger mob. But right now, that's going to do it for <coughs> round one of the morning roundup. All right, let's do some vitals here. Let me just refresh my cnbc.com forward slash markets page. And yeah, it's not looking good, dude. Um, Apparently, the futures were up like 1,200 points this uh, sometime last night into this morning. Uh, That turned around pretty quick. And that's the the Dow Jones futures, by the way. We have the S&P 500 falling 2.9%. We have the NASDAQ falling 3%. We have the Dow Jones falling 3%. We have the FTSE falling 5.8%. However, the the Nikkei index is up quite a bit, uh, 3.88%. And let's get into bonds. Let's see what bonds are doing. We've only got, we've got down ticks all over the place. 
the bund is unchanged at minus 0.48% yield. Gee, God. However, the Japanese 10-year bond is in positive territory at like almost probably not even within the margin of error kind of rates. It's at 0.013%. And the uh, United States three-month is also out of negative territory. So I don't know if that's good or not. We've had a 5.4% drop in the price of oil. It is now at 2128 dollars per barrel so that's going to do it for traditionals let's get into this one which is uh bitinfocharts.com i've got bitcoin at a price of 6628 only 243,000 transactions have been made in the last 24 hours wow that is an average number of transactions per hour of only 10,000 and only, but actually, but with that severe decrease in transactions, we still have 822,000 BTC being sent around the horn. That's uh, about 34,000 BTC being sent around the horn on average per hour with an average transaction value of 3.3 BTC. Median transaction value is 0.043 or about... 286 bucks. Block times are low, 9 minutes and 21 seconds. Gee, I wonder why. Uh, we've had a, uh, let's see, we've had a, oh my God. We, okay, according to BitInfo charts, which is always different than my node, uh, we have a 40% increase in hash rate in the last 24 hours. Let me say that again. We have a 40% increase in the hash rate in the last 24 hours. BitInfo charts is recording this as, 112 exahashes per second. Jeez Louise. And the last time nobody did anything on Bitcoin development-wise was sometime this morning. Ethereum is at 136. Bcash at 225. BSV at 172. Litecoin is at 40. Ethereum Classic is at 5 bucks. And Dogecoin is holding at 0.0018. With 32,000 uh, transactions in the last 24 hours, it matches Ethereum Classic walks all up and down Litecoin's ass, and that's pretty much it <clears throat> for that. Now, let's see what my node has to say about all this uh, hash rate business. I've got, well, if it'll refresh, I've got, I'm showing a hash rate on my node as 108 exahashes per second. We have 23 megabytes worth of unconfirmed transactions in the mempool, and that's about 17,000 transactions that's waiting to get done. <clears throat> Uh, to this, this morning, as far as all the last 10 blocks are concerned, everything is at 100% or, well, 998 to 100%. So nobody's cheesing out on that. Let's see what's going on with Light, Lightning Network. This is bitcoin.clarkmoody.com. We have 925 Bitcoin in the network. That is $6.14 million of capacity in, or rather liquidity. That is 6,644 nodes, which represent 36,209 channels. We have 372 Bitcoin in the Tor capacity, and that ends up being about 40.3% of all the capacity is just chilling out in Tor. Number of Tor nodes is pretty much the same, 1,925. That's going to do it for Vitals.
It's part two of the snooze you can use, and we're going to start this one off with the statement of fine safety and sats. God forbid, don't look for safts, S-A-F-T's. Is this another nail in the coffin for saft? Amy Castor is writing this one for Decrypt.co sometime yesterday. Former CFTC Chairman Gary Gensler, or Gensler, believes the recent Telegram ruling shows that a once popular structure for selling tokens won't spare you from securities laws. Telling you, man, stay out of shitcoinery. A ruling Tuesday against Telegram may be the death knell for the SAFT, S-A-F-T, the Simple Agreement for Future Tokens, a once popular idea for launching an initial coin offering. That's according to what Gary Gensler, former Commodity Future Traders Commission chairman, told Decrypt on Wednesday. In a wide-ranging interview, Gensler, who now lectures at MIT Sloan School of Management, said he believes the federal court ruling means the SAFT construct won't spare companies from securities laws, and a token still has to pass the Howey test, a hurdle in determining whether something qualifies as an investment contract. Quote, if the token, even two or three years later, is being brought in and bought in anticipation of profit, relying on some common enterprise, it's still a security, Gensler said. SAFT, which debuted in late 2017, rested on the idea that tokens initially sold as securities could morph into something that was not a security after the network launch. Complete bullshit, people. But on Wednesday, the assumption was put to rest by a ruling in the SEC v. Telegram case when a federal district court judge issued a preliminary injunction prohibiting the social network from launching its Graham token. Quote, it was a good day for investors and a good day for investor protections, he said. Gensler led the CFTC under the Obama administration from 2009 to 2014 when his term ended well before the crypto bubble. He believes that 99% of all ICOs are investment contracts, even if they are issued under the guise of a SAFT contract. <clears throat> in 2008, Telegram raised $1.7 billion for a future sale of a token. In Gensler's view, both the sale of the SAF contract, which was a security, and the Graham tokens, which haven't been issued yet, are part of the same investment scheme and thus securities. In his 44-page order and ruling, Judge P. Kevin Castell agreed. The judge spelled out why he believes the SEC is likely to win the case if it goes to trial. Telegram immediately filed a notice of appeal to challenge the ruling. The idea for SAFT was born in Silicon Valley. <clears throat> it was based on Y Combinator's simple agreement for future equity, otherwise known as SAFE notes, which became a popular template for startup financing since it was introduced in 2013. A more formal SAFT framework was developed in October 2017 by Marco Santori, formerly a top partner at law firm Cooley. He left Cooley earlier early the following year to become chief legal officer at Wallet Startup Blockchain. Quote, the idea that somehow something could transition from being a security to something that's not a security was a novel suggestion in 2017 and 2018, Gensler said. As described in Santori's SAFT white paper, the general idea was simple. You sell tokens that don't actually exist yet to accredited investors under SEC exemptions. Once the network goes live and the tokens are launched because they can't exist until the network does, the tokens become utility tokens, which have no utility, by the way. Redeemable for specific functions on the network that you don't need, by the way. According to the paper, utility tokens ought to pass the all-important Howey test, the test 
helps determine whether something is a security because the buyer expects the purchase to appreciate in value over time through the efforts of others. That's important to note. Filecoin, the first project to use the SAFT agreement, raised more than $257 million that way and has yet to launch its network. Jesus, how long ago was that? Uh, and, and there are others. In, Intangible Labs raised $133 million in a SAFT but shut down amid SEC concerns and returned the money to investors. Social Network Kick raised part of its $100 million ICO money in a SAFT but is in hot water with the SEC, and so on and so forth. Uh, quote, oh, that's the Gensler quote again. Uh, the idea that somehow something could transition from being a security to something that's not a security was a novel suggestion in 17 and 18. Ah, indeed, the, C the SEC subsequently put out answers to questions in April 2019 that actually suggested that maybe something could transition to a utility offering if it was sufficiently decentralized. But one of the key tenets of the Howey test is that an investment contract exists when there is an investment of money in a common enterprise with a reasonable expectation of profits to be derived from the efforts of others. Oh man, you know, honestly, <clears throat> that's the best, best shortest uh, description of the Howey test I've ever heard. So I'm going to read it again. The Howey test is the well, key tenet of the Howey test is that an investment contract exists when there is an investment of money in a common enterprise with a reasonable expectation of profits to be derived by the efforts of others. So this is like, this part is in three tests or in three part, or this test is in three parts. And it's important. It's been around for years, by the way. It's like, and it's named after the guy I can't remember his first name, but Howie lived in Florida and had a bunch of land that was an orange grove. And he started, he was going under. So he started selling uh, parts of the orange grove and each one was a contract. And he was selling it to, he's selling it to older people. And the, through their efforts of managing the orange grove, the people that would buy like a string of trees, orange trees would get money on those trees. And it was a security and those people lost all their money. And before Howie, Howie went on trial, but before anything could happen to Howie himself, Howie died. <laughs> but his legacy lives on in the Howie test. I'm just, just saying, it's just a little bit of history there. Um, <clears throat> quote, if you are looking at that April guidance, it is clear that they are talking about something that no longer was relying on others for anticipation of profits, Gensler said. I think that basically Judge Castell was saying the SEC has the better argument here that people are still relying on Telegram, the company, for the value of the Graham token. Yeah, no kidding, dude. But Gensler believes that Telegram ruling had more to do with just the SAFT structure. It's also about the guidance the SEC put out. Quote, it's like, no, the Graham token isn't really just there as a utility to be used like a laundromat token. It's not. It's people are going to buy and sell the Graham token in anticipation of profits <clears throat> in reliance on Telegram, the company, to support the value and future prospects of that token. <clears throat> this is why we Bitcoin. That's even more important than the structure he continued Quote, it's sort of like the structure can't save you from that analysis. That analysis is critical. Is it that the Graham tokens relying on the efforts of others and there's an anticipation of profit? The answer is yes. It's still a security. 
quote, in terms of SAF, that means the structure does not relieve you of the basic analysis, which is the token is being bought by others in anticipation of profit relying on some common enterprise. And if the token, even two or three years later, is being bought in anticipation of profit relying on some common enterprise, it's still a security. I knew this when I first heard about this. Why didn't anybody else? Well, actually, I'm sure a lot of other people knew it too, but still, I remember a whole bunch of people screaming, yay, yay, yay. It's because it's saft. We're going to be saved. No, you're not. It's a security and you're going to get screwed. Again, this is why we Bitcoin. Nobody has, there, there's nobody in control of the thing. There's no, there's no anticipate, in anticipation of profit on on a third party that's in control of the thing that you're going to profit on. It completely does not pass the Howey test. And I, I think that if you pass the Howey test, you're hosed. If you don't pass the Howey test, you're not hosed. Bitcoin, not hosed. If the SEC ultimately wins the case, Telegram can still issue its Gram tokens. It just has to comply with securities laws, Gensler said, and that could be challenging. The same goes for Filecoin. If it ever issues its token, it likely still has to comply with securities laws, and that means various transparencies, investor protections, and disclosures. That's enough overhead to kill just about any horse on the plains. It also means that any exchange that traded such tokens would have to be registered either as a broker dealer or as a full market exchange, quote, so it has ramifications both for the token and it has ramifications for any exchange that might list the tokens. Oh, joy, Gensler said. While Filecoin or even Telegram, if courts rule in favor of the SEC, still issue their token, that would be up to them. If they can't, then they might have to disband the project and return the money, but maybe they could comply with securities law, he said. So I doubt seriously that any of these people are interested in, in have, you know, they, they went into this just thinking, all these people go into this thinking that they're just going to make shit tons of money and they're not going to go to jail. Now it's like, oh, wait a minute, you mean we actually have to learn how to do all this stuff? Not interested. And I, I sense a lot of exit scams are probably already being formulated. If they weren't already formulated, then they, if they were already formulated, then I, I suspect that there, we'll see a bunch of executions uh, of those plans. Bankruptcy trustee to hand Quadriga users information to Canadian taxman. That's right. If you were using Quadriga CX and you got hosed, you're the criminal. Or, I mean... Maybe not exactly, but the fact that they're going to hand your information over to the uh, tax authorities in Canada is, you know, that's not cool, man. But this is Coindesk. It's been written yesterday by Nicholas Day. <clears throat> Ernst & Young, the court-appointed bankruptcy trustee overseeing the winding up of crypto exchanges or crypto exchange Quadriga CX, will be turning over all, all user information to the Canada Review Revenue Agency or the CRA. EV reported, EY reported Tuesday that the CRA had asked it to turn over a trove of information about Quadriga CX, whose customers have been waiting for more than a year to get back $190 million deposited on the exchange. The requested information includes financial statements and other business records, corporate legal records, documents related to contractors and other related parties, a list of accounts and wallet addresses, detailed information 
on the fiat and crypto owed to users, analysis on user-specific transaction activities, and identified accounts. So even though that you got hosed, uh, they want your specific transaction activities, right? Yeah, they do. And they're going to get it too. Quote, the trustee has advised CRA that its intention is to simply produce a copy of the full e-discovery database redacted only for privilege in response to the CRA production demand, EY's latest report said. The database does, does include users' personal information as well as account balances and transaction data. It contains 750,000 individual documents, Ernst & Young said in a previous report. At the time of its collapse, Quadriga had... 115,000 users with balances on the platform. Miller Thompson, the court-appointed law firm representing Quadriga's former users, wrote in a letter Thursday that it would not oppose the move in the interest of reducing costs and not further delaying any distribution of funds to the users. Members of the creditors' committee, a handful of former Quadriga users who represent the overall group in discussions with Miller Thompson, uh, had differing views on the potential privacy concerns of turning this information over to the CRA, the letter said. Quote, among other things, committee members debated at length concerns about sharing the information with the CRA, the safeguarding of that information, the nature of the personal information contained on the database, the value of the privacy interest affected, and the reasonable expectations of affected users, it reads. Uh, Magdalena Grounska, uh, one member of the committee, wrote on Twitter Thursday that the CRA's request is an unprecedented affront to individual privacy. Quote, I'm concerned this smells like a fishing expedition, she said, explaining that Ernst & Young has already said in the past that it may be difficult to calculate taxes and wondering whether the CRA really needs to use user data to calculate the exchange's liability. Toronto-based Quadriga CX folded in early 2019 after reporting that its founder and CEO, Gerald Cotton, had died while traveling in India. Bullshit. I think he's alive. Cotton had sole control over the exchange's private keys and was the only individual operating it at the time of his death, his widow said in an affidavit. Quadriga's former users questioned whether Cotton actually died and whether his death was natural and have now asked Canadian authorities multiple times to exhume and autopsy his body. And as far as I know, that's the end of the uh, article, but as far as I know, there has been no response from Canadian authorities as to whether or not they're going to do that. And that shit was floated months ago. All right, so that's how long this has taken. <clears throat> block one has absorbed one of EOS's longstanding block producers. Yeah. Again, I want you to think about the Howey test as we read this. Reasonable expectation of returns on investment contracts given the uh, production of a third party or you know the the fact that a a, a some other people are 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 doing something that you're going to get some kind of return eos is a security and if you're holding a bag of eos i'd i'd get out of it i don't know man but whatever eos new york has shut down its website and ended its role as block producer now it will merge with eos or eos's parent company block 1 this is Mike Dalton writing for CryptoBriefing.com sometime yesterday. Block One, the main software developer, software company behind EOS, has announced that it will acquire a team of developers at EOS New York, one of EOS's longstanding block producers. 
EOS New York's website previously offered general information about EOS and its role as a block producer, as well as a number of tools for developers and users. But as of today, the website directs visitors to Block One's hiring announcement. <laughs> the announcement reads, EOS New York and its associated companies have ceased operations entirely as the team transitions into their new roles. EOS New York co-founder Rick Schlesinger and Kevin Rose will now move into senior roles at Block One, and they will lead new initiatives in the company. Moreover, the former EOS New York team will focus on community engagement, promotion, and representing Block One's interest as an EOS token holder. EOS New York has also been removed from lists of EOS Block producers over the past few days. EOS New York has attracted only enough votes to put it in 48th place as measured by state EOS. In December, it attracted enough votes to earn 32nd place. Neither of those rankings are enough to place it among EOS's top 21 active block producers, which actively govern and power EOS's underlying blockchain. Again, Howie test here, guys. Though EOS New York was a top 21 block producer in EOS's early days, it has become less relevant over time as other block producers joined the blockchain. Block One is responsible for most aspects of EOS development and its software, and clearly uh, running these freaking nodes. I mean, it's not just the development and, and the software. It's, uh, again, Howie test, guys. In February, it released EOS 2.0, the blockchain's first major overhaul. That release introduced several improvements to performance and security, as well as several new developer features. Block One also runs a social network called Voice, which was beta launched in February. It additionally funds development in the EOS ecosystem through its venture capital God, arm, which is separate from other funding methods. It is not yet clear whether EOS New York will directly contribute to Block One's main efforts or whether <clears throat> it will have free reign to continue on its own projects. God, man, dude. Uh, the reason I'm having a problem with this is that it's, this is clearly yet another security. All these things are securities. If, if, if your bag of garbage has not exit scammed you at this point, then they're securities. That's what this all means. I mean, maybe one or two will, will emerge unscathed, but there's no telling who, not really, because we really don't know the structure of most of this stuff, which is why I stay away from it, man. And, and honestly, I sleep very well at night not having, having to hold bags of this garbage. Oh, and gambling. Why? Why? I don't understand this space. Even in, the, even in just absolute 100% Bitcoin space, I am honestly shocked that I continue to be shocked of all the gambling. It is like, I mean, people throwing bets around like, like, okay. I mean, just like, uh, the guys from Tales from the Crypt, Matt O'Dell, uh, Marty Bent, and any number of, of people that they've had on their show continuously making steak dinner bets on what the price will be or what something is. And that's fine. I mean, it's like, I mean, that one I, I, I get, but when I measure it against all the rest of the shit, like, you know, Tone Vase, poker. I mean, the amount of poker that goes on in this space, even with Bitcoin maximalists, is just, it's unprecedented. 
There's so much stuff going on in this space in Vegas. There's like bets and gambling sites. And it's just the amount of gambling is just ridiculous. And it's like, if you're going to go ahead and gamble, just do the whole, you know, I'm, I'm going to bet on, you know, trading on Kraken FX. Or, so all of this together, I look at it as, as a great big box of puppies. And all these puppies are just a different kind of gambling. And I don't get it. I mean, if that's, I, I don't know. For me, gambling is akin to putting good, solid money into a brown paper bag and lighting it on fire. That's that's all I see gambling of any form as. I don't think it's healthy. I don't think anybody should do it, but that's just me. If you want to gamble, go right ahead. But I don't, I don't know. I don't see the I don't see the use. Bit the the whole reason I'm I'm saying all this is because of this particular last news story that we'll be doing for the snooze you can use is Bit Casino users can now deposit and withdraw securely on browser via Tron Link. Now this was written this morning by uh, was it Sina Klichova? Yeah, Sina Klichova is writing for uh, Coinspeaker.com. Sometime this morning, Bitcoin-led gaming site BitCasino.io has announced the addition of the TronLink browser extension, which will allow for a seamless transaction experience on the casino for all Tron users. Mm-hmm. Now, fast and secure transactions need not be a hassle for Tron users since TRX can be directly deposited or withdrawn via a simple click on a browser extension Tron link that ensures fully secure communication with BitCasino without ever leaving your browser. This means that interaction with the Tron blockchain need not be a technical issue as players only need to determine how much TRX to send or withdraw to their account balance directly from their browser. And just as with normal TRX wallets, All user funds are perfectly secure with no need to share private keys with BitCasino, meaning that custody is always safe with the user right inside your browser. Bullshit. Like most wallet extensions to use TronLink, users must be logged into BitCasino via the browser hosting the extension for it to work. Deposits are instant and withdrawals with land in wallets in the space of mere seconds, just the way crypto was meant to be. Tari Titsar, BitCasino's director, advises users to download the TronLink extension only from the verified page of their, web, of their browser's web store. He says that this is the next step in innovation that gives BitCasino players the speed they have been become accustomed to without sacrificing security. Tari explained, quote, Gone is the need to deposit or withdraw Tron to hardware wallets, open an app on your phone, or any other website. Players can easily manage their instantaneous deposits and withdrawals without any extra hassle. End quote. God, dude, burn your money right in your browser, pal. The Coin Gaming Group, which owns the brands BitCasino and SportsBet.io, partnered up with Tron Foundation in 2019 to allow for seamless TRX use on both gaming portals. Now it is in its sixth year of operation. BitCasino boasts over 2,000 traditional and modern games such as slots, table games, and live dealer offerings, all hosted on its own proprietary platform designed to create the best in gaming experience for crypto players. And with an average of 1.5 minutes only to process player withdrawals, BitCasino is now one of the pioneers setting the industry standard for what fast withdrawals mean for crypto casinos. Download and install the TronLink extension now for the Chrome web browser. 
And I'm not going to read that because this is essentially at this point turning into an advertisement for this pile of garbage. So I'm just going to go ahead and end it there. But again, guys, all this is is a way for you to lose your money real fast. You know, as I mean, think about it from think about it from uh, the house's perspective, the house being the casino. They don't want anything in between you pulling your money out of your wallet and giving it to them whether it's cash um that's why they take that's why they take cash directly at at tables in uh Las Vegas they don't want you having to go to a window like getting up out of your seat or or walking by like let's say a blackjack table and go gee I'd like to play this game but gosh you know Man, that means that I got to go over to this window and I got to exchange some money. And all that thought process is just a hindrance to the house getting your money. So fuck it. They'll just take your money right from your hand, right at the table as you're sitting your ass down with your nice cold drink with a little tiki umbrella in it and shove it into their table and give you coins or their little clay uh, clay markers right there. That And that's why they do it. And that's why these people, I, I that's why I don't like gambling. I don't like gambling because unless you're really, really good at it, and even then the house always wins. I mean, that's just a rule. And if you don't understand it, then you got no business walking into a freaking casino in the first place. But this one is exactly like having to be able to, being able to sit down at a blackjack table live in Las Vegas and handing over your money without a single thought, without a single thought of going, should I, should I not? People have lost entire fortunes because they can't stow their gambling habit. I'm just saying, if you, if you are a gambler and you're listening to this, I don't, I'm not saying that you're a bad person. I'm just saying that gambling is just bad. It just is. And if, if you, I don't know, just be careful. That's going to do it for morning roundup number two. All right, ah, this daily train wreck is brought to you by somebody who I actually grew up with as 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 a child. I was watching uh, Monty Python with my dad when I was like a little little kid. Man, uh, it was actually one of my favorite shows. I didn't like Benny Hill, but God, man, give me Monty Python every day. Well. I had to smack John Cleese around. Of course, he doesn't care about me because, you know, I'm nobody and that's that's okay. But still, I got to smack him around on, on Twitter for saying the following. It strikes me that it's terribly funny that the response of some Americans to the virus is to buy guns. God, Jesus, John, why? I, this is what I don't understand about people that live in other countries. Why do you care what people in countries that aren't your own actually do? I mean, it's not like I'm like constantly, it's not like, a, like I'm a bitching all the time about Brexit, right? It's not my business. It's none of my business, which is why I told or wrote back to John and says, it strikes me as funny that I grew up with Monty Python and never for one second thought you that you were this fucking weak. Shut the fuck up and mind your own fucking business. And that's pretty much goes out to people that do not live in this country that talk about shit that happens in this country. And I would hope 
to expect that same attitude from John Cleese himself if I were to tweet anything about how Britain is doing stuff. Like, I can't believe you still have a royalty f- or a royal family. You should get rid of that. I would expect John Cleese to tell me to shove it because that's exactly what I would deserve. I got no business saying anything about Britain. I got no business saying anything about what the hell goes on inside of Canada. I mean, I guess it's okay to kind of criticize at one point or another, you know, maybe like, I don't know, I don't, I don't like Justin Trudeau, but I'm not going to start telling people, you know, in Canada that a, a certain law that has been on their books since the inception of Canada needs to be changed or ignored or something like that. It's ridiculous. Please don't talk about like the laws of the land of lands that are not your own. That's just bad business. And there's your smoldering pile right over there now for something funny. And I got, I'm going to go ahead and do two of these. One of them just popped up in my Twitter feed like 10 seconds ago while I was talking. So I'm going to go ahead and do this one first. Uh, Kendra Garden says, One thing I've learned so far in quarantine is that my husband refuses to microwave anything for 45 seconds. He always does 44. When I asked him why, he said, for Obama. Mm -hmm. Can't leave you guys without your requisite dad says jokes. I'm so bored sitting at home that I decided to memorize six pages of the dictionary. I learned next to nothing. I'm just going to leave that there. Just going to leave that there. Chicken report. It's the chicken report time, pals. Ooh, this is going to be a short show. Good job, bro. Didn't want to waste y'all's time. Uh, Chicken report. I built a chicken tractor yesterday out of one, two. I bought four pieces of lumber and five, uh, five pieces of metal and a roll of chicken wire, and I built a chicken tractor. What is a chicken tractor? A chicken tractor is something that has no floor. It is, it is outside. Its sides and top are screened in, and you, have, and you build it to where you have the ability to put chickens in the son of a bitch and get chickens out of the son of a bitch. Also, it's designed to be moved. That's the most important part. Uh, so, <clears throat> oh, uh, no, I'm sorry, I... I Something caught my attention. Um, Why? Well, chickens do a lot of labor. If you let chickens be a chicken, then you start understanding the power of the chicken for outside. Okay? It's not just about eggs. It's not just about meat. It's while they are living, their chickenness can be basically harnessed for good. Now, how does that work? Well, chickens do a couple of things. They poop fertilizer. They use their feet to scratch the ground, tilling, and they use their beaks to peck, bug eating. Okay. Between those three things, you put six chickens into a chicken tractor with no floor. uh, And you do that day after day after about like anywhere, depending on the power of the particular chickens involved, um, between one and three days, uh, in my, my tractor is eight foot long by four foot wide by four foot uh, tall. Okay, the the height you only need it to be as high or a little bit higher than uh, the chicken because you, you don't want them. You know, you want them to be able to you know at least bounce up a couple of times without uh, hitting the roof. But it doesn't need to be four foot tall. But I just that's just what I had you know laying around. So. 
<clears throat> but what you do is you put the chickens inside, you put water inside, and you 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 leave them. And in that, in my case, in that eight foot by four foot space, was that thirty two square feet? I've got six. I'll have six adult chickens. After about a day, anywhere between a day and three days, they will have completely tilled the ground. They will have scratched in their manure and they will have eaten God only knows how many bugs, right? So then you move the tractor exactly, or I'll move the tractor after three days or so, whenever I, I feel like they've done their job, I will move it forward by exactly eight feet or the length of the tractor. And then I will seed behind them with like white clover and maybe perennial rye or something like that and rake it in and water it and it will be ready like the the ground will have been ready to accept seed it will be cleaned of bugs and it will have been manured i didn't do anything all i at this point all i'm doing is sprinkling some damn seed on it and then throwing some water on it and i've moved the chickens to a brand a brand new part of the lawn uh, and this is all in my backyard, by the way. I'm not doing it in my front yard, although I, I might. You never know. Um, and then they start the the they do the whole thing over again. Now they're on fresh grass. So that and when they're on grass, they're they're literally going to rake in all the the thatch, and and also they'll rake it in, rake it out. They'll basically be moving it to get to the dirt where there's going to be some bugs and stuff. It's going to stimulate the grass that's already there, and it's also going to open up spaces of dead grass where the seed's going to land, and it's going to end up. I'm going to end up with a really, really nice looking backyard. But this is a high, or, or rather, a low time preference operation. It's it, like you know, most people go, "I want a new yard," so they'll hire somebody, they'll spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars, they'll come out, and with two days, within two days, they'll have a brand new lawn with sod and stuff like that. And they'll always do it sometime in early June. And, and in Texas, by the time the end of July rolls around, all that sod is dead because they are not going to be able to water it, uh, put enough water on it for it to not dry up and just die. Best way to do this shit out here is, to, is, is for seed. But again, even if I were to till up my entire lawn or have somebody do it for me, it would cost me hundreds and hundreds of dollars. They'd rake it all out and then they'd throw seed on it. And then again, I really wouldn't be able to put enough water on it to keep it from dying in the heat of the summer. So if I go to a low time preference situation, like I've got with a chicken tractor and I just let the chickens do the work for me, all I need to do is be patient. And in, within one season, they are going to have been on every square inch of my backyard. Every square inch, in some cases, maybe some some places twice. And guys, uh, at that point, all I'm doing is building soil. You know, after that, I'm building soil. So I'm I'm really excited about all this thing. You know, this whole thing. But yeah, it took me about three hours to build essentially what is essentially a box. You know, and then put some screen on it and stuff like that. It's real easy, and if you're thinking about having chickens. Also think about how you're going to get them to do labor for you while they're producing eggs and or meat, depending on what it is you're raising them for. Meat birds or chickens that have been uh, specifically bred to give meat, like the Cornish cross, are not good egg layers. They will lay, but they're not good at egg production. Likewise, egg layers 
are there for not meat production. They're there for egg, for laying eggs. Now there's something called a dual purpose bird and they exist. However, they don't lay eggs all that well and they don't really grow all that big. So the, the meat yield is, they pretty much suck at both. Okay. So keep that in mind. My, I have six chickens. They are all egg layers. If I decide that I want chickens, uh, start doing chickens for meat, I'm going to get meat birds and I'm going to tractor those little sons of bitches around as well. Okay. So, uh, that's your chicken report. I'm pretty much sure that everything else is pretty much the same. We're all sequestered. We're all waiting to see what happens. Um, be sure that after we get out of all this, that the world is going to look completely different than when we went in. We're right in the middle of a sea change of the human existence. I, I, I'm going to stand by that where it's going to look completely different on the other side. And it's going to be all up to us to make sure that it doesn't end up being completely authoritarian because that's the way shit's going. It's been going that way for a while, but my God never let a crisis go to waste. Right guys. And you're, you're seeing it. We're already seeing some weirdness, uh, very deeply disturbing weirdness out there. So be careful, be mindful and, you know, if you can, again, as I'm like, I've uh, heard a couple of old, you know, older Bitcoiners uh, yesterday talking about how they're getting out of the city. Um, I recommend it. I really do. Uh, we don't know what, what the new world is going to look like, but we are well on our way to being there. So it's up to you guys. Do what you can to keep us safe. God knows I will. I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.